6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. Well, on this, the day that we're marking as, you know, a return to school for uh, most of the kids across the province, taking your stories about, you know, back to school. Maybe it was first day of school, back to school for grade 5, grade 12, maybe off to college or university. Brian says, Jay, I'm a dad of an 18-year-old daughter. We live east of Red Deer and have for the last nine years. On Sunday, my wife and our daughter and our son drove to Medicine Hat to move our daughter into Medicine Hat College residence. I promise you that even as your kids get older and move on, it isn't any easier as a parent. I held it together until it was time to say goodbye. I gave her a hug and then I bawled like a baby. The first day of school doesn't get easier. That's from Brian this afternoon. Keep them coming this afternoon at 780. Uh, what is the number? Four nine six seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. How many times have I said that number in my life? All right. Uh, on the other hand, of uh, you know, when you look at t- uh, the bad things that happened to kids during the pandemic last year, rising rates of child abuse and suicide attempts. Those are just some of the dire outcomes from a year old uh, from a year of lockdowns. And school closures because of the pandemic, it's all outlined in a new report published today. And as kids return to class this week, it outlines a grim picture of the declining physical and mental health of children as a result of the pandemic. So what can be done about it? Let's find out with Sarah Austin, the founder and CEO of Children First Canada. Sarah, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you outline in this report the top 10 threats facing our children, and most of them really go hand-in-hand with the pandemic and have been exacerbated by the pandemic. Let's start with unintentional and preventable injuries. Um, we, We did see less people going to the hospital, but numbers certainly going up when it comes to incidents and even deaths with drugs. Can you tell us about that? Well, that's right. I mean, with children being um, kept at home um, often for weeks or months on end, we saw a decrease in uh, injuries or accidents related to sports and car accidents and things of that nature. But we saw children being at a greater risk of ingesting poisons, whether that's um, uh, drugs or or other harmful chemicals in their home. Uh, Children have faced very um, significant threats to their survival that are gravely concerning for, I think, for many parents and uh, something for us certainly to be watchful and and mindful of in the weeks and months ahead. Without a doubt, and you know, during uh, the past 17 months, certainly mental health has been at the top of everyone's minds. I, You know, it's been on the top of adults' minds and how it's affecting uh, their mental health. And they turn around and look at their children and the young people around them. And mental health, no surprise here for children, uh, was topping uh, the list of concerns in this study today as well. Yes, and the, sadly, the statistics are not um, surprising to me, but they are deeply disturbing. Mm-hmm. Suicide remains a leading cause of death for children and youth ages 10 to 19. You know, this one hits home for me, especially I'm the mom of a 10-year-old boy, and I know that my son and his peers across the province and across the country have really been struggling, uh, whether it was school closures or being cut off from sports, playtime. There are so many things our kids had to give up over the past year and a half, and it's really taken a huge toll. Um, There have been spikes in children's hospitals seeing admissions for suicide attempts, for eating disorders, Mm. for opioid use, um, as well as things like increased rates of anxiety and depression. The kids are not all right, and their mental health goes hand-in-hand with parents, you know, 
here in Alberta, for instance, we saw increased rates of, of, of mothers, particularly mothers of young children facing, um, you know, grave threats to their mental health as well. If mums yeah. aren't doing well, then they're, they're, their kids are also going to be struggling. And largely, you know, families are just feeling like they're, they're at their wit's end. They've done their very best to try and get through this difficult time, but they haven't had the support from all levels of government to help their kids survive and thrive. Yeah, and you know, we, and I think um, I think it was important that you outlined what fell under mental health as well. You know, the the, the suicide numbers or the attempted suicides, the uh, the eating disorders, the anxiety, because it's not just having a bad day. There were some really really serious numbers that showed up. That's right. These are grave concerns. You know, children's lives are in jeopardy. And when, if they're having to show up in emergency rooms to get uh, access to treatment, it means that they are simply not getting access to that in the community-based setting from long-term health care providers. Uh, and we've seen over the past decade rising rates of children's poor mental health and numbers of children um, admitting being admitted to emergency rooms for, for mental health concerns. Uh, their wait lists for, for children accessing mental health care are, are burgeoning and, and particularly so during the pandemic and uh, along with access to things like you know, care for eating disorders or for, for so many other concerns and these things just really do put our children's survival and development into jeopardy and require an urgent and sustained response. Sarah Austin is the founder and CEO of Children First Canada and you know some of those other dangers uh, and I'm not sure that a lot of folks thought about it but it, it started to be talked about more and more during the pandemic because you know oftentimes for some kids being at school is a safer place than being at home. And then when kids went home and were forced in some cases to stay in unstable, unsafe, violent environments, I mean, it was dangerous. We did see rising cases of of child abuse being reported, but also there was a big concern about what we weren't seeing or hearing um, on that front. That's right. In many ways, uh, experts have been concerned that children have simply gone under the radar, particularly during school closures and the prolonged periods of time when they've been away from home. That's true even in the best of times during something like a summer holiday where kids are off the radar. They're not being seen by teachers or coaches or other trusted adults outside of their home. But when they were in the pressure cooker situation of the pandemic, kept at home for weeks or months on end without access to trusted adults and where they were so much extra pressure at home where parents were losing their jobs, carrying the child care burden, keeping their kids' education going. Um, you know, all of these things were, were really mounting and creating pressures on parents. In some jurisdictions, like Ottawa, for instance, they saw increased children being admitted for head fractures and mm. broken bones that are signals of you know, very serious child maltreatment. You know, we know that the early days of a child's life are some of the most stressful times for, for parents trying to get through. And when parents are cut off from support systems, whether it's being able to have visits from extended family members, meals dropped off, someone to hold a baby when they're crying and you simply need a nap. You know, when all that system um, support system is stripped away, it's not surprising that we see these rising concerns for children's survival and protection. It's not that parents don't want to do right by their children. It's simply that they've reached a breaking point and they haven't had the support that they need to be able to care for their children. One of the other um, items that was on the, um, the the list of 10 that I wanted to touch on, and they're all very important, but I think this one, um, you know, it was the... It was there before the pandemic. It certainly was exacerbated during the pandemic, and I'm afraid it's going to continue to be there after the pandemic.
pandemic, and that is poverty and food security and the, and the access for, for children, their families, to, um, to good, healthy, um, not uber-expensive food. That needs to change. Absolutely. You know, during the pandemic, we saw a 39% increase in food insecurity across the country, and, and it being particularly so for, for families with young children. Uh, really, so many families struggled to put food on the table. That was true before the pandemic, but with job losses and so many of the other pressures created by the pandemic, it became even a bigger issue, especially with kids um, being kept home from school. They, got, they lost access to breakfast and lunch programs that many rely upon. Mm-hmm. But even, you know, setting that aside, Canada is the only G7 country that lacks a national school nutrition program. You know, school, school has been a gateway for children to be able to access their right to nutritious, healthy food. And, uh, you know, when schools closed, that was something that, that they simply lost access to. With kids uh, now entering back into school, we hope to see some improvements in this area. But, this, you know, we, we need to see much more sustained investments, uh, food banks and and community-based organizations have really done their best to meet these very basic needs, but we need to get at more systemic solutions. And the national um, school school feeding program would be one way to get yeah. at that. Yeah, so let's talk uh, about that a little bit more. What to do about all of these issues. Uh, your organization calling on the federal government to make a big, bold plan to improve the lives of children. How do you see that being done? Well, we want to see children actually become a ballot box issue. You know, they're always competing attention for, for the issues that our leaders talk about and the, the promises and pledges that ma- they make. We put forward a children's platform. We want to see leadership on the part of all federal parties. You know, this should be a nonpartisan issue. And we know that every party is going to have their own take on it, but we want to see concrete plans and big, bold leadership being put forward and, and, and tangible investments. For instance, we've called for a children's commissioner. This is a proven and effective strategy used in countries around the world. Where you, you know, not surprisingly, if you put somebody in charge, you're actually going to have um, uh, some accountability and have a plan to move things forward. You know, likewise, we want to see a national strategy to tackling the top ten threats and, and moving Canada forward to actually becoming a world-leading country for kids once again. We've called for a catalytic investment fund of $2 billion. It sounds like a lot. It is a big investment, but that's really what's required to meet the short and the long-term needs of our children and to help them survive and thrive. We want to see our government measuring what matters, actually capturing the data on the lives of our children and be able to track progress. You know, it's important that we see equitable funding for First Nations, Métis, and Inuit children and to address the grave inequities they face. And last but not least, we want to see governments involving kids kids are experts in their own lives. What it's like to be a child today is very different than it was for you and me, uh, especially for kids during a pandemic. And kids are often very creative and bold and and, and rightly impatient. You know, uh-huh. they can't, everything, every single day matters in the life of a child. We can't afford to delay action any longer. We need to see our government step up and, and make big, bold pledges to, to work for and with our children. Sarah, before I let you go, you've been following the campaign. Um, you know, are you seeing any of these things? Are you optimistic? Optimistic from any of the leaders, any of the parties right now, um, uh, that uh, that children are being put first. 
At this point in time, I'm, I have to say I'm quite disappointed with what I see put forward in all the federal party platforms. There are little bits and pieces here and there addressing particular issues, but nothing, anything, nothing close to what's really required to change the trajectory and to address the crisis that our kids currently face. And, and so I'm hopeful that with the release of this report and with an outcry on the path of Canadians that our, our government leaders will feel the pressure to do better. I know we still have a couple of weeks left in this election campaign, and I hope that Canadians will join me in, in calling on all the federal parties and your local candidates to make a plan for children, to put kids at the heart of our pandemic recovery plan, and to make the, the short and long-term investments that are really needed for our children. Sarah Austin is the founder and CEO of Children First Canada. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for speaking with me.